Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HamGG, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gabriel Nassif. Hey, what's up, everyone? And we also have a special guest this week. Previous MPL member, now Rivals, as well as Modern Fanatic, as well as, I guess, the Legacy Elves Master. We are joined by another, nonetheless, Reduke. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, Gab, Harry? Thank you for that introduction. Thanks for having me on. My second time on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. I think it only makes sense to have you on the podcast with GP Vegas recently happening, as well as some world announcements. And also, you know, everyone kind of wants to know what's happening in Reduke's life with the MPL rivals, whatever. So we're going to be getting into all of that today. I think that only makes sense. But before we get into anything, you know, the podcast, we are brought to you by Card Market. For those who don't know what Card Market is, it is a marketplace online to buy anything Magic the Gathering related. Can be deck boxes, sleeves, singles, accessories. You can sell stuff on there. Doesn't even have to be Magic the Gathering, can be other card games. So please go check them out. They do support the cast and get us here every single week. As well as if you would like to personally support the podcast, the best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. No pressure to do so, but that's the best place to support us. But anyways, we're done with intros. We're interested in a deep conversation with Reed. So obviously I mentioned I guess GP Vegas or whatever you like to call it was this past weekend. So why don't you kind of let us all know how the event was and also what modern deck you played? Sure, yeah. So I went out to Vegas. I was there for about a week, and then the tournament itself lasted for three days. But speaking personally, it was just awesome. You know, I hadn't really gotten out of the house much in the past couple of years, and then being able to to be out there, like, back playing Paper Magic and see a lot of... A lot of new faces, a lot of you know old friends. Um, it was just kind of exactly what I wanted, and overall, really positive experience. Um, so I, there were two main events, modern and limited. I competed in the modern, and uh, the deck I picked was Golgari Yawkmoth. Cool. Was there any anxiety going there, or were you any reservations, or were you 100% just super excited to travel and go play a Magic tournament? Well, it was definitely like some stepping out of my my comfort zone, you know, especially given that I hadn't been around big crowds in a long time. There is a little bit of, a, you know, culture shock, I guess you can call it. But hey, at the bottom line, I just love magic so much. I love competing at magic like they could host Pro Tour Mordor and I would get there three days early to beat the jet lag, you know, so um uh there's there's no question for me about about attending cool cool and uh how how did you end up settling on the yagmoth deck because obviously i'm guessing you wish you could have maybe played junt and there's the junt ragavan john sagavan was or the saga etc that does pretty well what's your testing process like or your deck selection choice like uh well yeah i was i was really on the fence up till like literally the morning that i showed up at the site and um i mean the big problem was that like i didn't i didn't know what the best deck was in modern but uh also uh card availability can be pretty big in modern and i have a i have a fairly extensive modern collection but i had it kept up so i didn't have any cards from modern horizons 2 or anything that's been printed in the last couple of years so there was also this overlying factor of like 
well, how much money am I willing to spend to complete my deck? Are the dealers even going to have the cards I need? This and that. So, uh, you know, I was prepared with with some backup plans, but um, my front runners were pretty much Death Shadow and Golgari Yogmoth. And for a while, um, I was going to play Death Shadow, and uh, my buddy TBS Ben Sec was like, he messaged me, he's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm going to be there too. What should I play? This and that. And, and for a while, we were both going to play Jun Death Shadow. But he tried it out and didn't have a great experience. And I was kind of on the fence anyway. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's maybe the little the little nudge over the ledge that I need to uh, get off of Death Shadow and play Golgari Yogmoth instead. And thankfully, the dealers had the cards that I needed at least to complete, like, the core of the deck. And, yeah, that, that, that was that for me. Yeah. Spent the morning all, you know, going to every single different dealer trying to piecemeal like the last 10 or 12 cards that I needed. Classic. As far as you could tell, was there a lot of issues with card availability when you were talking to people? Were they kind of limited in their deck choices? Well, I really, I, I overestimated how much card availability was going to be an issue. Like I thought, you know, 25% of the field was going to be there playing Burn because it's the cheapest. I mean, Burn's pretty good but it's also the cheapest deck and it hasn't changed much. So, so people probably had it from the old days. And I was like really preparing for that dynamic, but that was not actually how it played out. Um, I think I have a tendency to underrate the collector aspect of, of MTG and, you know, almost everybody that I faced had a complete top tier deck, including a couple of opponents who had like fully foiled out, you know, Urza Saga decks, like, which was, was really impressive to me. But yeah, people people definitely showed up prepared and I was, uh, I guess I underestimated the competition in that way. Yeah. The only thing I want to know is uh, with the new kind of addition of companion into Magic, did you ever have anyone forget to reveal their companion? Um, a little bit. I think everyone was kind of on the same page in the sense that like, Hey, we're 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 just back playing paper magic after a couple of years off, and you know some of these some of these people probably never played a magic tournament before, and we're here to have fun. And for the most part, I didn't see people raking each other over the coals over like little mistakes. So sometimes it'd be like, um, we take our mulligans, and then the opponent's like, oh, by the way, I have Luris, and it's like, okay, you know that's fine. Maybe that's not the proper procedure, but that's that's totally cool. And then a lot of times. I think technically you would have to announce your companion every single game of a match, but sometimes people would just like leave it, leave it out off to the side and it would be pretty clear that they, they wanted to reveal it, you know, each individual game. So it, it was, you know, manageable and, and somewhat casual and the event ran pretty smoothly in that way. That's nice to hear. Are you a side event type of person or were you just playing the, the modern main event? Well, from what I remember um, of the, the old style Grand Prix, it would usually be like a dedicated day where the site was open before the main event started, but they didn't have that this time. So uh, I just showed up Friday morning at, at eight and the event started at nine. So that was that. Um, Sunday I was free. So just kind of hung out and watched the limited event and played a side draft and stuff like that. Um, I do enjoy just being being at the convention center and, and engaging with magic in whatever, whatever way I can. I got some cards signed by the artists. Yeah. 
Did it feel much different than old paper events? No, it, it felt kind of like we were able to pick up where we had left off. Um, I mean, of course, there's extra safety precautions and everyone was wearing masks and things like that. So that, you know, it, it felt a little bit different in that way. But for the most part, it was, you know, just a just a cool Grand Prix Magic Fest event, kind of like the ones we remember from the old days. Yeah. Did you have more people come up to you than usual or could you not? Can you not really remember what it was like? So you can't really compare because of the maybe because of the stream window, you're like you were already really popular before you started streaming. Or maybe um, less because of COVID and people were a bit more. Yeah, I, more I would respectful. say I would say this the same number of, of people uh, coming up to, to introduce. Um, Sunday I was there and I didn't have my like CFB jersey with my name on it. And so maybe between the mask and not wearing like a branded shirt, it's possible some people didn't recognize me. But the Friday and Saturday when I was competing, I had I had the team CFB jersey that has my name on the back and stuff. And, and a lot of people came up uh, to meet me uh, for, you know, a range of reasons, either to chat or to get a photo or to get a signature or just to say like, oh, hi, like nice to meet you in person, whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool to to see a lot of people who had yeah. watched my stuff over the pandemic and whatnot. Yeah, your turnout went well too. Close, really, you got really close to top eight and you were, you were in contention. Uh, you were playing a win in the last round, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I was, um, let's see, 11 and two going into the last round. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a big event, so there wasn't really much room for, like, intentional draws in the last round. You kind of had to win uh, to get there. But I, I got I got defeated uh, pretty badly by Amulet Titan in the uh, in the winning in round. So that was yeah. that. That made it to no buys, right? Or did some people have buys? No buys. Yep. So that that's one thing that was much different from the, the Grand Prix. I guess I had been spoiled because when I was like, uh, you know, platinum status or, or, or uh, MPL or whatever it might be, I would usually get to start the event with three buys. But this time it was like, ah, oh, totally even playing field. I have no advantage over anybody else. And then couldn't couldn't hack it apparently without the buys. And I still pretty, pretty, pretty good finish. 11 and three, not not bad. Uh, also, you, you, you hadn't played that deck at all, right? The Yangmas deck or did you... Well, I played I played, I played a bit online and had a good experience, but man, that's the type of deck where playing it for the first time in paper, you know, you're you're not doing yourself any favors because there's a lot to keep track of and the games are pretty complex. Um, but I, I basically just took the approach of like I'm gonna I'm gonna take everything super slow and just announce everything that's happening and, and make sure I don't uh get ahead of myself and trip over my own shoelaces or whatever. Uh, and, and especially once we got deep into the tournament, I was I was getting the hang of the uh, mechanics of the deck pretty well. Yeah. I haven't seen you play much modern recently because of um, all the Arena Pro Tours. Was there anything that you kind of learned from the format that you didn't really know uh, after this tournament that you think uh, is kind of something that the listener should be keeping track of? Because also, a lot of people that listen to the podcast don't get time to test as much as we do. Good question. Um, I do think modern is quite balanced and very challenging right now. Um, I have, I, I would say I haven't really like 
sunk my teeth into modern in the way I would if there was, um, you know, pro tour or world championship, but I've, I've kept a pretty solid background, um, playing like, you know, handful of leagues per month kind of thing and trying out some different decks. Um, this event, I guess I, I, I gained a better respect for what some of the decks are capable of. Like I really got beat badly by, by Amulet Titan in the final round with some super impressive draws there. And uh, the Death Shadow decks looked good. I got to finally play against Dress Down with Death Shadow, which is a pretty, pretty nasty combination. And of course, Colossus Hammer, just how, how scary it is when they play uh, a quick Urza Saga um, and Sigarda's Aid in papers was a, was a new experience for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that, that, the Titan deck is super swingy in my experience. Sometimes it feels like it doesn't do anything, and then other times it just has the crazy turn free kills. And I've been also impressed by, by Grix's Shadow List. Uh, it's not played a ton, but I feel like it it, it does well. Uh, yeah, but it, I, I I suppose I could tell you exactly what happened in the game against Samuel Titan was I uh, I had a really I had really good draws myself. Like I have absolutely nothing to complain about because because my 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 deck delivered for me, and I had beaten Amulet Titan previously in the event. So game one, I'm on the play, and turn three, I pass the turn with Yogmoth and like effectively six creatures. So I couldn't actually combo off because I didn't have any mana left. I, I couldn't I couldn't win the game. But I'm like, okay, I could kill a Titan if my opponent plays it, right? So like by sacrificing six creatures. So I feel like I'm I have most things covered. Um, but my opponent's draw was Amulet, Amulet, Dryad of the Elysian Grove. There was a Valakut in there somewhere, by the way. Titan, search for like, you know, say two bounce lands, untap, untap, float mana. Second Titan, search for Slayer's Stronghold and Forest Garrison, give them both haste. So now I'm like, okay, I was prepared for one Titan, but now there's literally three creatures on the battlefield that all kill me. So, uh, you know, I, I was just dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Rough playing for, yeah, playing for top eight too. But yeah, it looked like the meta was pretty diverse, kind of similar to what you see online. I didn't feel like there was a huge, huge difference. Was that also your experience? Uh, yeah, that was that was my experience. It was pretty diverse. Um, the deck that I faced the most, or I guess I should say the archetype I faced the most, was just kind of like red, black, X with Luris as a companion, um, whether it be John Rakdos, Death Shadow, uh, Burn, I did face once. So a lot of Luris companions. Yeah, any any stories that stood out, interactions, something about the weekend that stood out for you? Fun story or just what, yeah, I don't know, anything like that? Well, I guess I could tell you how the tournament started, um, which is that I showed up completely unprepared, uh, you know, because I, I had to purchase all the cards that had been printed from Modern Horizons 2, and I actually didn't even have Yacht Moths uh, itself. So I, what I did was I didn't submit my deck list the night before, which I normally would do. But my thought process was like, well, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the cards I need. I'm not even sure what, what deck I'm going to submit. So I'll wait till the morning of. So I, I show up um, at a, there's a bit of a line to get through the um, proof of vaccination like stage of getting into the hall. Uh, but I get in and I have to go to like, 
six or seven or maybe even more different dealer booths to get all the cards that I need. But I finally did, except for one, except that nobody had Outland Liberator. So I had to swap my, my sideboard Outland Liberator for a Reclamation CH. So I guess in that sense, it's good that I didn't submit my deck list ahead of time. So I would have had to change it. Yeah. Um, but then I go up to the main stage and I'm like, hey, can I get a deck list? They're like, no, no paper deck lists. You have to submit online. <laughs> so I have my, my, my cell phone with no internet access, just like trying to do it like on data with, you know, typing out all the card names on, on, on the little uh, touchpad of my phone. And of course I keep making mistakes or like the, you know, their page gets an error. I have to reload it, start over. And I'm scrambling. It's like it's like eight, you know, eight fifty six. I'm like, oh, come on, get the deck listed before nine o'clock. And I finally did, like, just barely get it in. And uh, I got my pairing, and I go to the table, and my opponent's not there. So I take the opportunity to like kind of double double check like the my my physical deck list against the one I had submitted. And I realized I made a mistake. I hadn't included, I, I, I think I had one too many lands. I hadn't included kitchen things or something like that. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, like I don't want to play the whole tournament with the wrong deck list. Let me, let me try to change it. So I'm there like scrambling to resubmit the deck. My opponent's late because he, he also had, uh, you know, some, some issues submitting his deck list. And finally, um, I get everything worked out. My opponent shows up. The judge walks over and is like, all right, well, you know, your opponent was late to the table, so he's going to start with the game loss. And I'm, I'm like, okay, that's not really fair, because, like, I was also late, even though I was sitting at the table. I was, I was like, still doing the exact same thing my opponent was doing in terms of getting the deck list in. So I just kind of, like, confessed that to the judge. And the judge is like, okay, like, this is not normally the way we handle things, but since you both were late, I'm just going to, like kind of pretend I didn't hear this and like you guys could do your thing or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so we, we we started off with no game losses, which was great. You know, you don't wanna you don't want to start the tournament with like a, a feel bad like that. Um and then I won I won the match on turn turn four of extra turns. <laughs> so it's like many, many possible disasters avoided at many, many different spots there, but it ended up like we did reach the fair conclusion of the match and uh, we were we were good to go. Yeah, I would have been so anxious. I have the the nightmare, you know, where you're in a future match or you don't have your deck list. You, you, your tournament's about to start and you go for your deck and you realize you have proxies in it still or you're missing cards and you're still scrambling to get your cards. I hadn't had that nightmare in a while and I had it the other day. I don't know why. <laughs> later, later in the event, I had... I, I uh decided that I wanted to double sleeve my deck. So I'm, you know, maybe I'm not experienced enough in this or I was a little rusty, but I'm like, okay, double sleeving should take roughly twice as long as single sleeving, right? Not correct. Double sleeving takes way longer. Just, you know, the, those those uh, uh, perfect fit sleeves are like a nightmare to navigate. So I ended up like th get the round getting called when I had like two thirds of my deck double sleeved and like, <laughs> My sideboard still sleeps in the old sleeves, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, I'm, I'm I'm scrambling. But I had a couple of friends come over and help me get it sorted out. But it reminds me of those those nightmares you always have about you know getting called to your match and you're just totally unprepared to get started. Yeah, no, it's definitely a recurring nightmare. I used to have a lot, and uh, maybe nightmares a bit strong, but it's not pleasant. 
where yeah because it, it happens to me in real life too and i sh I, sh I don't show up very prepared and i'm usually scrambling for cards and i'll get anxious but um all right so and you got to see huey again you're staying with huey mm -hmm. got to see who else was there of your your good friends oh, well, well uh shahar actually was um shahar and huey lived together and Shahar was like not gonna play the event because um, he, you know, he wasn't really familiar with the new cards. He hadn't played in a while, whatever. wasn't that interested in it. But I was kind of working on him. I was like, dude, at least play the sealed deck event. And finally, he uh, he has a really good Shahar line, which is like, okay, fine, I'll play the sealed deck. It's gonna be fun, like the pre-release. And Huey goes. Shahar, it's not really the pre-release if everyone else has been practicing for two weeks and you're seeing the cards for the first time. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, he was a good sport about it. He shows up in Shahar, of course, like he's a two-time world championship uh, champion winner. He, his, his skills are not in question in any way, but he hadn't played any Crimson Vow at all. I had played a lot and I was like, okay, Shahar, here's what you do. Rakdos is the best. Just take every card that says vampire on it. <laughs> and he's, he's like got it i could do that so he opens a really good like red black seal deck plays plays rakdos for the whole uh whole first day and then <laughs> both of the drafts he's like all right like i'm only gonna look at the rakdos cards just take all the vampires and he went like 5-0 in the drafts and made top eight and stuff so it, it was it was really funny in that oh he actually sense. made top eight of what? the event yeah he, so he, I, somehow i didn't hear about it rocked it i mean they don't they didn't talk about the there's not a ton of coverage no official coverage but uh oh that's awesome he, he wow. literally hadn't played with a non-red or black crimson bow card until until the top eight yeah yeah shahar i feel like shahar probably gets underestimated i think maybe i've been guilty of underestimating shahar just because he's just kind of always all goofy and kind of happy-go-lucky and yeah you don't take him as seriously one thing that's that's definitely true about Shahar is he, he plays the games very 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 well even you know even if he's he's coming in uh, less prepared or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's how little coverage share was. I guess I didn't even know Shahar made a top eight of the limited event. Cool. Um, well, yeah. I guess now that we've kind of talked about Vegas, maybe we should just talk about the modern format in general. Yeah, we, we could talk a bit about modern. I just want more more Vegas stories. Where, where do you guys go at? I miss Vegas. I haven't been in many years. I used to go every year for, ever since I was 21, I went every year for the World Series. And recently they started having these the Vegas GP during the World Series, usually in summer. Um, I never got to play in, in the main events of the GPs because I was, I'd rather just play the, the, the World Series poker event usually. But it was fun to have everyone in town, and it was kind of nice, I guess, to have the event in November instead of super. Is the weather really nice in in November? Was the weather just kind of perfect? It, yeah, it, it was perfect. In fact, I've been to Vegas a handful of times before in my life, but always in like the dead of summer when it's it's like you almost can't go outside because it's it's just so hot and dry and everything. But uh, the weather was absolutely perfect uh, this time. We went went hiking in the uh, I guess you call them the Red Rock Mountains, which was really scenic and awesome. Um, just totally ideal, ideal time to be there. Yeah, I'm guessing it's because 
the the convention centers are cheaper so maybe that's why they do the world series in in the summer i think summer like in vegas is just not very busy so truck me it's like that and valentine's day weekend i don't know if you ever noticed but we basically every year had a pro tour on valentine's valentine days weekend and i just assume it's because convention centers are maybe a bit cheaper because people don't want like the businessmen don't want to be traveling on on valentine's day so yeah that's kind of a running joke that you know we always got pro tour on valentine's day weekend and then when it was in a nice place it was always at the like worst kind of moment of the year weather wise i don't know but uh yeah yeah so what else what else did i want to ask you about vegas and everything yeah i don't know harry you you don't you you thought about going to vegas right harry you were thinking about it and i was i was kind of like you asked me about it i was like oh, i don't think it's super reasonable but Maybe save, maybe save up and go for more than like two days. People are asking me to. I don't know if people don't always realize I live in France or just assume maybe I'm a pro player. So I go to a bunch of events. And I got the question a lot, like, are you going to Vegas? I'm like, no, it's like a full day travel there and back and jet lag. And uh, I don't want to go just for a few days. So. And it's expensive. I was going to go, but um, then I've actually flown out to Germany to film and record with Card Market. I guess for those listening right now, they can't see this amazing sign behind me. But uh, yeah, I'm in the I'm in the uh, Card Market office right now in this like in Berlin, which is pretty cool. So I've just been playing modern um, since Monday. Like today, we did a stream, and also I've recorded a few offline videos with them. After this podcast, I'm actually doing a modern metagame breakdown. So I I could I couldn't even go to Vegas if I really wanted to because um. Uh, this trip obviously would clash, but I've never been to Vegas to be honest. I don't know if I'm ever gonna go. Are, are you a big poker player, Reed? Have do you play poker? I played a lot of poker when I was younger, like uh, I guess college age. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, th- these days, I it's, I only play recreationally and only every once in a long while. But I did go play a uh, poker tournament on the Wednesday before before the the Magic event. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I think the only reason why I'd go to Vegas is for poker, and I'm not good enough yet. I'm just kind of playing, well, a poker in the UK is closed down right now, so I don't really have an interest in it because I haven't yeah. played in a long time. Well, we can find all kind of stakes. If you if you go for two weeks, you can just, there's like every buy-in, you know, from $50, I guess, to up to whatever. But so you can go play some lower binds or lower stakes games. And then if you do well in these, maybe you can take a shot in bigger games or maybe play a satellite for an event. There's, yeah, I mean, it's around the clock and there's every every stakes, uh, every level of stakes, really. Yeah, it's something to consider in the future, I think. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we could talk about maybe the top eight decks. Who ended up winning? I'm not even sure. Was it the Hardened Seals deck that ended up winning the main event? Do you know, Reed, or Infect? Um, my best information is that it was Rakdos Luris deck. I think I think I saw that that was the the, num- oh. the first place deck list on some some website that had the, yeah, the that's what final I saw standings. Too, so. Yeah, that would be Edwin Colloran. Mm-hmm. Pretty stock Rakdos Luris deck. Kind of, quote-unquote, Aspiring Spikes uh, pet deck 
read the format was many, many copies of Torok, free copies of Torok. That's a card that's been really good against, especially the Omnath files. I'm assuming it's maybe decent against Hammer Time and Subsaws, the protection from white, the discard, kind of a well-rounded deck. There was, I think, seven different archetypes, two copies of Amulet Titan and six other archetypes, Omnath Control, John Saga, kind of your usual suspect, honestly. An Infect deck that's been showing up here and there online, uh, Ferex and Crusader, pro-white and pro-red, another creature that's super annoying for the Omnath deck. There's a Hardened Scales deck in the top eight. You don't see a ton of that online anymore, but um, yeah, four-color creativity. And uh, yeah, not not too many big surprises. The only kind of really new deck list I've noticed is that uh, Yorion Broadback deck. I think Indra Manguchi's been playing that deck a bit on his stream, and it puts um, someone in the top, someone top eighted online this weekend, and someone played it in the, the, the mo- I had never seen that version before, and someone did well in the Vegas event, and someone did well online with it as well. So that's kind of the one new deck I saw. I don't know if you guys saw anything, anything new this weekend out of the results. Um, oh, I haven't. I did see one player. Well, I mean, first of all, I was I was particularly excited to see Hardened Scales in the top eights. Um, I think that deck's awesome and clearly a, a big winner from Urza's Saga. But I think, you know, prior to Vegas, a lot a lot of us would have said like, okay, the dust has settled and Colossus Hammer is the best thing to do if you want to be like artifact heavy with Urza's Saga. But hey, I mean, player making a top eight or, or top four with Hardened Scales is is awesome. Uh, I saw another player go deep with like effectively just uh, an aggro zoo deck. I think he was red green with a bunch of the aggressive red creatures, maybe some prowess guys, rancor, uh, you know, a bunch of bird spells. And I was like, wow, just that's that is that is classic pure modern for you, just playing a bunch of you know a bunch of your favorite aggressive cards and beat, yeah. beating the pulp out of people. It's great. Yeah, I have the list. It had Chandler, Goblin Guide, Swift Spear, Ragavan, a couple of copies of Become a Man, copies of Scale Up, so kind of infect, but with damage. And yeah, four copies of Rancor, four Boris Charm. That's like all, all aggression. And uh, yeah, top Sunny Aparicio was, was Naya Agro. Yeah, I was going to ask, him. Did, you, did, you, did you play against any Brews or was it all kind of top tier decks because you didn't even have buy so maybe in the first few rounds you play it against my first my first opponent was um basically playing like his own take on colossus hammer um like it was it was you know fully powered colossus hammer deck with all the good stuff but he also had consulate dreadnought it's a one mana vehicle with crew seven and it becomes something like a seven eleven. but this was cool because uh you know, you can find it with Urza Saga and with uh, like cranial plating and and uh, the construct tokens and stuff. It's, it was just comically easy for him to get seven power and start crewing it and and beating me up. Uh, so I thought that was a, that was a cool yeah touch or a cool way to customize the deck. Yeah, it was closed deck list, right? No open deck list. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. People were not were not. You can tell because 
you'll see on Twitter people talk about their tournament and no one's sharing their deck lists. So you can you can kind of tell straight away when the tournament's open deck list or not. Um, I'm assuming maybe the top eight was open deck list. I don't know if you. Not sure to tell you the truth. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I was I was looking at the results of the online tournaments this weekend. There was two challenges and a PTQ, a premiere. I'm assuming it was some kind of PTQ. I was I was not here this weekend. I took. I was like a small holiday, so I didn't play much modern at all. And I've been playing historic with the Innistrad Championship coming up. We've got decklist due in a few days. Um, but yeah, I was dominated by Blue Red Murktide. Out of the 24 decks that made top eight, there was seven copies of Blue Red Murktide. It's kind of the trend we've been seeing in the Magic Online metagame anyways. Ever since people started playing Consider, over Thought Scour and tuning the list, tuning the sideboard, that deck's just been kind of the deck to beat, I feel. Did you play against that deck at all in in Vegas? I did. I, I played against it once um, and I, I was fortunate enough to win, but going in, I felt like that was that was one of the scariest matchups for Golgari Yogmoth. Just the intersection of big flying creatures and like infinite cheap disruption you know kill your mana dorks and stuff like that um I, I found it pretty scary but i did win the one time i played against it um huey showed up and hadn't been playing a lot of modern he'd been focusing mostly on, on standard and historic uh, lately and he uh i just wanted was a storm deck like he wanted to play the old deck that he, he had enjoyed uh in, in previous years and he got paired against is it murktide deck he came up to me after the match and he's like what the heck is this? They've got two mana, eight eights, and you know, counter spell, and like every other card costs one mana. Like, is this what modern is like right now? I said, Yep, this is what modern is like right now. Yeah, no, that deck can feel unfair. You just can't really have bad draws, you can't really flood. You got all absurd card at absurd rates, not for sure. I mean, I've, I've been a fan, and deck, deck did really well. Um, online, there's 14 different archetypes, though. It's kind of the same every week, just a ton of different archetypes. Uh, 24 decks that made top eight, 14 different archetypes. And yeah, there was that weird version of Yurion. There's a couple different Yurion four color, Yurion Omnath builds. There's there's kind of the stock one that Canister has been playing, kind of elementals and good good cards. There's a, a version that plays Court of Calling, and there was a version was brought back and it brought back and showed on of the skull. So that was a bit new. Also a tiny bit new was Dredge. They didn't make top eight, but there was two players who came in like 19, 11s, and they were both playing Otherworldly Gaze, which is one blue, you mill yourself, I believe, three cards, and then it has a flashback of a blue and one. So I saw that. I went back to straight away. I went to Sodex Twitter, see if maybe that's where the list comes from. And I think maybe that's where the, the original lists come from. So Dredge was kind of back, and Ad Nauseam was also kind of back. There was one player who made top eight, it was Ad Nauseam, and another one who came in tense. But uh, besides that, it was like, yeah, your usual, you know, some blue-eyed control, Amulet, and, you know, Grixis Shadow, a little Ragdos. So, yeah, that was, that was another cool build. That was Red-Black was Zathlerus. They're just playing Seasoned Pyromancer, four Grief, and four 
Fury was a ton of the one mana cards bring back like there's Malakir of Rebirth, I believe it's called. I forget the names of the two others, but they were playing like nine or ten of that effect, just trying to cheese people with fear and grief. And the synergy with seasoned pyromancer, I guess, is nice. You kind of pitch your whole hand and then you can refill easily with pyromancer. So there's actually a couple couple uh cool uh different new decks. So yeah, modern just super diverse. Yeah, I've been really loving the format. I've just been playing a load of paper magic this week, uh, like I mentioned. But I've, I tried, um, I tried playing Titan actually today, and oh my gosh, that's like the hardest deck I've ever played. I think the one thing that was surprising to me playing Titan is that Urza's Saga is used not just for constructs, but you should realize like the turn sequencing of getting Amulet and how. It can actually just ramp you up to a to like a turn three kill if you play it on turn one, and like I played, I played just one match today against Blue Red Murktide on stream, and I've literally never felt dumber in my life just reading Twitch chat, then pointing at every little mistake that I make, stuff like just I've never um, what is it in Magic? I think what you know a difference between like a decent Magic player and a good Magic player can sometimes be like sequencing of lands and literally like I felt like I've learned so much uh, just from one match and how important it is to sequence your lands in Titan. I think that deck is like the hardest deck in the format right now, in my opinion, because I played a lot of Hammer Time and I thought that deck was really hard. But after playing Titan today, I mean, I have, any, I have insane amounts of respect for anyone who can play that deck well. Um, but I also... I still kind of strongly stand by my bias towards four color control in the format. I also played that on paper. And uh, I think we don't appreciate enough how much Magic Online assists us in these like, you know, like 13, 14 fetch land decks, the mana from Omnath, um, you know, all these little things. Like another little thing is like flipping the top card when you get hit by Ragavan, all these little things like gotta get used to it again and that's what actually made me kind of feel the fire inside me for magic is how you know you're not getting your hand held by magical line all the time so that's kind of just been my week really just uh playing playing all the fun decks that i really like in the format and it's uh it's nice to get back to paper magic to be honest and i i feel like everyone who went to vegas is probably feeling the same yeah for sure um that yeah it, it's just a whole different experience and uh, while I do enjoy playing Magic Online and Magic Arena, the, you know, the reason I fell in love with the game is, is playing Paper Magic. Um, <laughs> like you said, there's a bunch of additional challenges when you play Paper, and certainly there's a lot of accounting to do in, in uh, Vegas, and a lot of shuffling and making <laughs> sure you, you actually execute the mechanics properly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, like... Um... I would say I'm an online player because really that's where I spend most of my time. But like the the flashing of things and like, for example, I think the biggest one is like Teferi Time Raveler, for example. If that's on the table, your cards aren't lit up on your opponent's turn. So you're more aware of it. So I feel like there's a load of things that really assist you in being a better Magic player online, as well as like the Companion Zone popping up. So all that, it's like, it's really nice to kind of uh, retrain that uh, muscle, I guess you could say, of remembering all these little things that uh, that 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 to me is is really what I find fun. 
Yep, I'm with you on that. Gab, did you play any modern this week? I did not, but I, I've been wanting to because I've been watching a bit of Wafo's stream and he's been tuning blue-white control and I really <laughs> want to just use all the hard work he's put in and play blue-white control in the next challenge. But I don't think I can play this weekend because Saturday we're having Thanksgiving, even though COVID's getting really bad in France again. So we, we might actually have to cancel, hopefully not. And then Sunday, I think I'm just going to spend the day... Uh, Testing with the team since Declan's argue on on Sunday night for the the Enestra Championship. It's half historic, half standard. But yeah, Wafo's been streaming, and I've been watching a bit. He's been tuning the list. His buddy Mr. Cafriet won the Saturday challenge, and Wafo top aided the the Sunday challenge. They've they've been, I mean, especially Wafo, been just crushing these challenges. Almost feels like at least one top eight every weekend. And uh, they usually play pretty similar lists on a given weekend, but they had actually a few few different card choices uh, between the two of them um, this this time around. Wafo came in. Did I make that up? That Wafo made top eight? No, I don't think so. Maybe it was in the premiere. Anyways, yeah, you know, it's always the little tweaks. Uh, do you play Chalice of the Void main? Do you play Shark Typhoons? Cryptic command, all these cards, etc. So I've been I've been itching to play some modern, but that that'll have to wait till after the the championship. Okay, sweet. Should we? Um, would you guys like to move on to talking about I guess Reed's pro career? Yeah, we could talk a bit about that. There has been announcement. Um, last week they announced the world championship for next year and mm -hmm. how to qualify. I'm going to try and sum it up in a few words. Basically, it's going to be 32 players. Technically, anyone can qualify. Obviously, it's more likely to qualify if you're already oh. rivals or MPL. But the way it works is that there's 18 slots for the set championships. So there's going to be three arena championships this year, and the top six of every tournament qualify. So that's 18. Then you've got Yuta Takahashi, defending world champ, who's qualified. That's 19. Then you have the five best MPL slash rivals finisher, meaning that in these three set championships, you're going to be earning points even if you don't top six. And whoever has the most points gets to qualify for worlds. So there's going to be five slots for MPL and rivals and eight slots for the challengers, the people who are not MPL or rivals, but who qualify for one or more of these set championships. Meaning that technically you can be qualified for nothing right now. You qualify for the second or the third set championship, since the first one is going to be the Innistrad that's happening in a week. You top six that tournament and you can qualify, you, you'll be qualified for Worlds. And then there's a potential, what they call at-large qualifications, meaning that if there's an overlap, then the slots go to, I think, the best MPL and rivals finishers. So instead of just five MPL rivals player qualified on points, you add a slot. So for instance, if Yuta Takahashi makes top six of one of these tournaments, instead of it being the seven player who qualifies, it's a slot that goes to the MPL rivals pool. So I think they did a good job balancing the system 
between challengers and rivals and MPLs. You know, I saw maybe an MPL player say, oh, that's only five slots for us. It's almost like we're getting punished for being MPL rivals, but there's also way fewer of us than there are, you know, challengers, which is everyone who's basically, you know, just, uh, I don't know how to say quote unquote random, but, um, or not qualified for anything at the beginning of the year. And not only that, but we're the ones who profited. There's like extra slots at large. So I think it's good. Obviously, it's going to be super spiky. You know, you have to, I don't know, these turns are going to have, what, three, four, 400 players. And you have to top six. But I feel like given the restrictions and the, the very, very low number of tournaments, I think they did a good job. I think it made sense to invite more players to World Championship. 32 instead of 16. They haven't announced a location yet or dates or price pool. Probably waiting to see what, what happens with the, the COVID situation, see if they can have it in person potentially. But um, yeah, that was kind of the big announcements. And it was, it was good news because, you know, a few weeks ago, we weren't even sure if there were going to be another world championship ever. They said they wanted to kind of get rid or make part with the, the pro system, the pro rewards in general and kind of have more on a circuit that's event per event and not necessarily some path of qualification or some system kind of gluing it all together. So that does, I felt like that was good news and I, I like I like what I saw. I don't know about you, Reid. I, I was, uh, this announcement made me happy for sure. Uh, I agree with you that, you know, we, we have a lot of, uh, restrictions that we have to work around in terms of the number of tournaments and not being able to to uh, play live all that much. But given that, uh, I think this was a really good execution of the World Championship and creating a, a culminating event for uh, this, this sort of bridge year in terms of organized play. Uh, I also really like that they expanded the World Championship to 32 players. Uh, over the past handful of years, they've sort of switched back and forth between 16 and 24. And I always like it more when there are more players in Worlds. Um, as a competitor, 16 just feels so exclusive. Like it, it, it almost, you know, is intimidating to try to, to, to go for a qualification for Worlds. But at 24, or in this case, 32, it feels more like, okay, you know, I, I, can, I can make this tournament by consistently doing a good job for, throughout the whole year. Um, so I, I think uh, introducing those extra slots does make it feel a little bit more achievable, uh, which is a good quality. And even the years that I've sat home and watched the World Championships, I think I would enjoy it more as a viewer um, if, it was, if it was slightly larger. I think 16 is just, is just too exclusive, and I'm happy to see them uh, in, in increasing it to 32 slots for this event. Yeah, I agree. I talk about it every time we talk about worlds, but I was never a fan of the small field worlds. And part of it is maybe because I was always qualified for worlds as a Hall of Famer before and being on the train before the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if it's because I don't get to play in the World Championship anymore, but it never really spiked my interest. I feel like it's not that exciting. You know, all the players are all really good. One of the really good players gonna gonna win, and there's not that much room for a cool storyline. I feel like the only year where I really got excited is when Huey won. 
because he was, you know, he's one of my best friends and he was in the feature match a lot. So I got to watch him play. He played incredible magic throughout the weekend. It was just super exciting to watch. But are you saying you you weren't excited the year that you you yourself made top four of worlds (laughs) no i mean ever since they moved it to uh you know i've I've, ever since they changed it to like big format to small field and i've had to watch from home yeah um i I agree with you i'll I'll add even one more thing which i i think might be a subtle aspect that a lot of the viewers at home don't appreciate but when it's only 16 players in the world championship or in any other event for that matter, metagaming against your individual opponents becomes a really big deal. Um, there's always stress like, oh, you know, Gab and I like to practice together, but when the field is so small, we have to try to beat each other. So like, should that affect our team dynamic? And then, oh, I know this player always likes to play mono red. So I'm going to put extra sideboard cards in my deck for mono red. And you wind up, getting these sort of inbred deck lists and dynamics that wouldn't be there if it was a larger open field where you're just trying to show up with quote unquote the best deck you could build um and i I think that actually can wind up detracting from the viewer experience if there's not enough diversity in the deck lists or if things look really weird oh everyone's main decking burning hands like that's weird that's not what happens at my fnm what's going on here you know things like that uh, you just get weird dynamics when the field is too small. Yeah, and while it can be interesting to think about during deck building, deck selection, it's not necessarily the most enjoyable aspect. And yeah, it kind of feels yeah, not the, not the I'm not sure how to say, it, but not doesn't make for the how do you say it? Help me out, read. Well, it's just it's just a bit. It's different. Like you said, it is interesting, but it's not the it's not the reason that everyone loves yeah. magic. It's not it's not what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, yeah. Worlds is just an event that you're watching like the best in the world play as well as though I think uh my favorite aspect of Worlds is trying to see someone that no one really knows that's playing good against the best in the world. I think that's something that kind of happens in other games as well. That's kind of I would love to see. And if they have um, 32 slots, then, I mean, you're going to have a lot of new names that aren't really um, known to a wider range of the public. So I'm really happy about the change myself. Yeah. There's also just, you kind of get all the info at once, right? When it's 16 players, you basically have all the deck lists right away. You can go through them in like one or two minutes and you've seen the feel. Whereas... When it was 300, 400 players, you kind of see, you know, maybe someone's doing well on day one, but then they're not doing so well. And then someone else soars into the lead and you see other another deck as surprises. Deck emerge, more storylines, underdogs. Play, I don't know. It's just so many more things going on. Right. I mean, think about how much fun we had talking about the cool decks that broke out at MTG Vegas, and you just don't get any of that in a 16-player world championship because everyone's everyone's playing it tight, uh, you know, sticking to established decks, and uh, a, lot, a lot of times there's just not that much diversity in terms of what people show up with. Yeah. Yeah, anyways, that was, that was kind of the, the good and exciting news, um, I thought, anyways, and I think 
it was pretty well received and so, so far you know it feels like they they did a good job um what, what what about you reed was you know the future of magic kind of uncertainty i saw you actually uh, you've been streaming i saw you started a youtube channel too was that a little uh shuffling shuffling tutorial shuffling video do you do you think about that stuff a lot do you have plans do you do you, do you kind of know what you want to do in the next few years sure well my plan for the immediate uh for the foreseeable future is just to, to stick with my arrangement with with team cfb and writing for cfb pro so uh, i did create a youtube channel but for for the for now all my stuff will still be going up on the channel fireball youtube um but yeah i i really like my arrangement with them and it's uh i'm i'm grateful that it sort of like stabilizes my life and stabilizes my income so that uh if i have a bad year in terms of not you know not being in a pro league or not not earning a lot of prize money i could still survive and continue playing magic which i do love um so yeah i feel like i'm gonna see you know, still still be here and see what the future brings. And hopefully there will be some cool events to play in, even if there's not explicitly a Magic Pro League or a Pro Players Club. Yeah. How, how many how many hours a day do you work, you would say, between the the CFB Pro content creation, the deck guides and, and the stream? Uh, well, it's, it's a huge range. Um, you know, the, the, the good thing about my job is it's uh, somewhat of a flexible schedule. So if, you know, if I have something going on and I just can't work at all on Tuesday, then that means I can get my work done on Monday or on Wednesday. So, uh, um, you know, there, there's some flexibility, but uh, everything I do is related to magic in some way. So it's, it's always either I'm streaming, making a video, writing, doing some background research to help me with my writing. Um, and all, all that stuff adds up to be, I, I would say, a, a full-time job, like probably 35, 40 hours on a normal week. And then if I'm actually competing in a tournament on the weekend, you, you, you know, you add the yeah. weekend days on top of that. Yeah, no, it's a lot because you guys put on a, a ton of content. I'm I'm kind of impressed. I was, I do a tiny bit. I just make one video a week because I didn't love the writing part. It kind of stressed me out and... It just took too much time, and I was, it was not super easy for me. So when when you guys kind of embarked on the CFB Pro journey, I decided to kind of up out, out of the whole deck guide and stuff. But it must take I don't know it that does it I don't know I'm I'm kind of impressed anyways. I, as someone who I mean I see myself as a, a tiny bit lazy on that side. You know, I, I do like the stream and I, I, I try to, to be consistent with the stream, but uh, yeah. Well, uh, it, it's it's like anything else. Um, you you get used to it. Like I remember the first article that I ever wrote back in like 2011 or something. It, it took me like seven or eight or nine hours to write the whole thing and I got paid $25. <laughs> and, you know, that's not a very good return on an investment, but over the years, you just get more, you get in the swing of things and you learn how to do things more efficiently. And, um, you know, it, it, it's it's just a matter of, of getting a feel for it. And I still find these days, like a lot of times the hardest thing about writing is is finding a topic and, and getting that first sentence down, like actually starting writing. 
but then once you get in the zone, you can, yeah, I love talking about magic more than anything. So I, I can churn out a lot of writing, uh, pretty quickly once I, once I can get in that focused, uh, yeah. state. Did you ever look up writing techniques? I remember when I was, was struggling, like one, for example, I was, I felt like was a good tip was when you don't know really how to start, you just start writing, you know, not necessarily like whole paragraphs and stuff, but you start writing stuff, just whatever. And kind of comes together. Yeah, for sure. Um, sometimes I'll do that just like, oh, these are some interesting disjointed like things that I want to write about. And I'll just write that. And then I'll sort of like start to get a picture for what my article wants to look like and restructure it so that it makes sense and flows and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah just, just basically any way that you can get yourself started is helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because technically we're we're teammates. I uh, hope one day we actually get to. I mean, we do test together. I guess we do compete together. We test together and prepare for the tournaments. But the whole like, the whole team was the jerseys and showing up at events together. Yeah, man, we were so excited about the about the launch of Team CFB, and it was like oh, the great big unveiling of our team jerseys and stuff. But then. All the, all the events were canceled, so it, it took a took on a different form. Yeah. But I agree with you; it would be cool to, you know, get to to show up and make appearances at events as Team CFB. Okay, well, I guess kind of something that people are also interested in is, it's not really public, or it's it's quite hard to to discover. You know what's happening with NPL and rivals, especially with all the changes this year. You know, you told me before the podcast that you have been, I guess, demoted to Rivals League. Mm -hmm. Has that kind of changed anything uh, in terms of going into next year for you, or, or are you not bothered by it? Uh, well, it would be wrong to say I'm not bothered by it because it was a pretty disappointing end of the, the season for me mm -hmm. um, because you know, if you flash back to the start of the year, you start you start the year in MPL, and basically the best thing that can happen is you go to Worlds and stay in the MPL, and the worst thing that can happen is you get demoted to Rivals. So I, I worked hard all year, and I you know I had a few um, good weekends in the the league play weekends, and I was I was still relevant in the league right up until the end, and then uh, you know. I lost the the last round in the MPL gauntlet or whatever, and that was that. I got I got the worst outcome that I could have gotten for the year. So in that sense, it was a little bit of like a high stress situation. Um, but looking at the big picture, rivals is still good because I get to I get invited to all the set championships this year. So I have as good of a chance of putting up a good year and making the world championship as anyone in the MPL has. Um, so that that's a great spot to be in. And um, yeah, I would say the, the, it was more important to me and it always is more important to me to be able to compete at the world championship rather than just have some like, you know, cool sounding status that I can write on, on, on paper. Um, you know, I could be, Challenger, Rivals, MPL, whatever, as long as I'm actually getting to show up at the tournaments and compete against the other best players, then that's that's good enough for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned there that it was high stress for you. Um, you know, something for me is like a, I guess I've never been to the Pro Tour as a viewer. I expect you to never, you know, feel pressure in a high stakes spot. 
do you, do you still feel nervous when you're on the top tables at the PT and stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say that the, the nerves never go away for me. It's just that you get you get used to them and you learn how to play through them and not be you know rattled or or give up or allow yourself to to walk into a disaster. But yeah, I, I, I was kind of a wreck for the last couple of months of the the previous um, season. Like it just felt like the uh, like I said, I worked hard all year, and then the whole the whole like outcome of that year of work was going to be resting on the last couple of events, and I found that to be really stressful. But I guess that's always in some way how it's going to be with with competition. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think that's um, solely to do with the pressure of like the MPL system, or do you think the fact that Magic has basically been online this year, you're kind of like on your own, I guess, in the in the physical sense. I would say both. Um, certainly, the environment is is stressful. I, I know Gab has talked a lot about this, but it's you know, it, it's a much different experience sitting sitting home and playing a sixteen player tournament or league weekend from your bedroom, as compared to going out for the for the pro tour or grand prix. And, and one big difference is that. Those when you go to one of those big events, like say a 500 player pro tour, it's hard to have any expectations. You're like, you know what? I'm one of 500 really, really good players, and the most likely thing is that I just won't win, and that's fine. But I'm here to like put my best foot forward and take my shot. Whereas when you have an exclusive event like a 16 player league weekend, you more have the mental state of like, wow. I can't blow it. Like if, you know, I have to hold it together and not and make sure I avoid disaster. Um, and that's for, for me, at least, um, maybe, maybe your mileage may vary on this, but for me, that's a much more stressful mind state. Like I, I don't mind um, showing up and playing a long shot, but I do, it does bother me when I'm sitting there and I'm afraid of losing. Like, and I can't lose this match or else, or else I'm, I'm going to be out of the MPL. Like that's a really stressful feeling to have to have hanging over you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one of the things is that we realize how fortunate we are to be in that spot in the first place. And what you said, you know, we feel like if we do poorly, we squandered a shot at staying in the league, a lot of money. I think one thing that adds to the stress is the uncertainty of the structure and especially for this year, the thought that maybe that was the last big prize pool tournament ever, you know, $1 million for worlds and we might never have that again. So that added to the, the pressure and the stress, not knowing if there's going to be, we know there's not going to be an MPL anymore, but is there going to be a, a, a good system tournament where you can still kind of make a living. They said that's not the goal, but they did say they wanted a quote unquote a robust circuit and series of events. So I think that added a lot to to the stress of, of this year, knowing that that's maybe our last shot at maybe not life changing money for some of us, but you know, still very, very low sums of money and competing against the best, maybe the last chance to, to be the world champion. Now we know that's not the case. So 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the uncertainty is is big. Cool. Well, I have no more questions, really. Have you got anything, Gap? No more questions, Your Honor. Um, <laughs> not, not that comes to mind. I don't know, Reed, if there is something that you want to talk about, just literally anything or... Um, no, I mean, I would just say we've got the, this, this Innistrad set championship coming up in, it's going to be two, two weekends from now, like, uh, 11 days from now or something like that, nine days yeah. from now. And, uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to, to watch or engage with that tournament as it's going to be, you know, the, the highest stakes event we've seen in, in competitive magic for a while. And I, I think it's going to be cool to see what, um, what the, the, the new year brings. Yeah. Now the formats are interesting. Historic is incredible right now. So many decks. You can play so many decks. People ask me what the top tier decks are. I've been playing Historic and I feel like there's 10, almost 15 decks that you could play right now and probably do okay with. And I think that standard isn't super settled either. There hasn't been tons of tournaments. There have been a few. But I think that even in standard, you could have a few surprises, even though we see a lot of mono white, mono green, blue red decks. It should be it should be a sweet tournament, and uh, I'm curious to see if by the time people submit deck lists and we see the field, if it's going to be a less a bit less diverse, especially in historic, or if it's really going to be like you know no deck that's more than. 10% of the field or something and you see like 15 different well-represented archetypes. That would be really awesome because we, we haven't seen that dynamic in a while in uh, competitive magic where, where things are so diverse and uncertain. Yeah, and the latter is it's pretty competitive, but there's just it's so overwhelming, honestly, especially for historic. I, you know, I, I've been playing, but it feels like one step forward to to step back or you're not really making any progress and seriously test a matchup on the ladder. I mean, you, you get some data, you get a feel for matchups, feel for a deck, but there's just so so many different decks. It feels a bit like maybe the old modern, modern mm -hmm. pre, uh, maybe when we tested for modern PTs when there was not a, a ton of challenges and a ton of people playing modern back in the day or not as much. Uh, feels a bit that way for historic. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, so what should we do? Should we move on, Harry? Uh, maybe Life on the Line? Yeah, sure, let's do it. So I guess for those new listening and don't know what Life on the Line is, it's a section of the podcast where there's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event you live, you lose, you die. Got to bring a, a deck list from every form we talked about today. I guess it's just going to be modern. Um, I typically start off because I'm always easy, so I'm going to go for color control, Omnath control, obviously. I think Solitude is really well positioned right now. It feels like basically just like Force of Will in the format. Um, and I feel like people, while at the start of Modern Horizons 2, it felt like everyone was playing on Holy Heat. I feel like no one's really playing on Holy Heat, so my Planeswalker's always sticking around. So I really like the position of the deck, and I think that it's uh, pretty good against the field for my testing. What about you, Gab? I'm going to go... It's close for me between blue-white control and living end. I think the, the sideboards are still somewhat hostile to living end. 
but uh, I think I would go for blue. I was blue. I'd control this this weekend. Just copy whatever Waffle has been playing, basically. <laughs> okay, sweet. Well, uh, you might... I'd go with Golgari Yogmoth. I had a really good experience with it in Vegas. I, I think it's um, a bit underrated or or not not as not represented uh, proportional to to how strong it is. Um, I think it's it's got pretty good matchups against a lot of the field and remains customizable with with good sideboard options and yeah the more practice you get the better the more you like it okay sweet and uh we have a new segment on the podcast from when you last joined we now do the prices right um obviously with a card from card market shout out sponsor so i think it's only logical to do yogmoth this week gab what do you think yeah it makes sense i was thinking the same thing Awesome. So basically what we're going to do is you just got to think of a price in your head. I'll count down from three and just say it out loud or you can write it on a piece of paper. And the price is in euros, by the way, because I know you're in the U.S. <laughs> okay. So the now, wait a minute. In... <laughs> we, don't, we don't do the whole gaming thing where you have to be under, though. It's whoever gets closer. So there's yeah. no... Uh... But these no. days, there's so many different versions of ev of every every Ooh. card. There's the old border. There's you know the alternate arm. There's foil. What, like how, how are we how are we picking we, what version we, of Yogmoth? We always pick the the regular art. Okay, yeah, let's so just like, do regular uh, art. Remind me, Yogmoth is a mythic from Modern Horizon two. One. Modern Horizon one. Mythic from Modern Horizon one. Okay, got it. I'm gonna do. All right, I have my guess. Reed might have an edge though, because he literally had to buy. I literally, literally had to buy them. Yep. But <laughs> what? Yeah, card market's probably what? probably a little cheaper than the, the the US vendors. But all right, I got my guess. Okay. Okay, you guys right, ready? Reluctant. Yeah, I think so. Three, two, one. All right, six twenty euros. euro. What? I said twenty. 20 I said euro. twenty-five. Oh, I'm way on. I just feel like Yago is just not that played, and wow, six euros. I'm way <laughs> okay. The price trend in the past 30 days, the average price is 15 euros on card. That's a so all I'm saying is I heard that Reed got scammed for buying them in person. Should have <laughs> card market. That's all. How, how much? How much did you pay for your Yagmas Reed in in Vegas? Well, every dealer only had one. I, I think the cheapest I got was uh, was 20 dollars. I think they were all between twenty and thirty dollars, mm -hmm. but. Uh, one of them, I think, notably had like the old border, which is a little more expensive. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in, so, in that range. So twenty dollars is about fifteen euros. Okay, yeah, you, yeah. Okay, okay, seems fair. And I guess you know to finish off the episode, Reed, where can the listeners find you on the internet? Well, all my all my written and video content goes up on uh, channelfireball.com. I also stream sometimes, though I've been uh, a little bit off schedule, but Twitch tv slash reader rabbit mm -hmm. yeah what, what about the, the youtube uh, channel you started is that something you have to uh, for or no that just uh, just um if, if anything comes up that i i want to get out there really quickly i could i could throw it up on there but the plan is still for my content to go up on the channel fireball youtube channel yeah because i saw it was also on the the channel fireball page um yeah cool cool awesome. what about you harry Oh, me. Oh, you can find me in Berlin this week in Car Market <laughs> Studio, but um, I'm trying to do a, a video a week on my YouTube. I'm trying to get back in it. My university is kind of leveled out. 
Um, I'm also getting a month break soon, so I should be back on my personal content grind. But I think there'll be two videos a week out for the next few weeks by me on Card Market's channel as well, because a lot of people still don't know that I'm on their channel, so check it out there. But what about you, Gab? Yeah, twitch.tv slash yellowhat. You can find the VOD of this uh, podcast recording, or you can find our podcast on your usual apps, and I stream pretty much every day. I also have a YouTube channel where my Twitch VODs go slightly edited. I've tried to start making videos too. I kind of started, did a few, and haven't done much for the past week. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, that and on Twitter too at Gav Nassif and Reed is at Reed Duke on Twitter, I believe. And we also have Pat who wasn't with us this week, but at get underscore smart everywhere on the internet. Oh yeah, I completely forgot to mention why he wasn't here this week <laughs> in the intro. There was too much, too much to uh, to get through. But yeah, Pat wasn't here this week because of complications with work and also Teddy, for those interested. But I guess, honestly, to finish the episode, as always, Reed, thank you so much for spending time and waking up early to, to hang out with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, it was good fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Reed. Reed is, is actually moving. He made time for us. Uh, I thought it would be really fun to hear his, you know, Vegas stories, perspective, all that. And yeah, just super, super happy we could have you on. As as nice catching up too. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again. Awesome. And I guess thank you everyone who's made it this far into the episode. We appreciate you listening and supporting us. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time, hopefully with Pat. Yeah, take care, everyone.